Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like school districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice, curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poteaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone, welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company Podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, 
A teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Michelle, hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. I'm so excited to share your resources, your knowledge, your wealth, and your lovely advocacy spirit with my audience. Let's start off and just have you do an introduction. Okay. Um, well, my name is Michelle, and I am in a trained speech-language pathologist. I started getting into dyslexia work uh, after my daughter was diagnosed with dyslexia. And because professionals often are not well-trained in dyslexia, myself included, um, when she started having difficulty reading, I, I didn't know what was going on. Um, and so I kind of went through all the, this process as a parent of she's struggling to read, you know, I asked the school for help. I didn't get the support I was wanting. And then through our journey, when we figured out my daughter was very dyslexic, I had that professional outlet where I could take all of the classes and read all of the books and take all of the courses. And I sort of ended up becoming the person that I wish I had found for her. <laughs> And as we, I worked very, very hard, you know, with the school to get her a good IEP. And then as I started talking to other parents about what we had done, they wanted help with their child's IEP. And that's sort of how I got into doing advocacy. So today um, I do comprehensive language literacy evals for kids who are struggling readers. I work one-on-one -on -one with clients. 95% um, of my caseload are kids with dyslexia, and then I do advocacy work for families. So, Michelle, I think that's a really great place to start because we're going to talk about this phenomenal ebook of yours. Thank um, you. called, it shouldn't be so difficult. And it is amazing. And Michelle, I have to say, when I met you the first time and you like handed me state guidance on dyslexia <laughs> and you started like really diving deep into phonological processing and, and into kind of the, the speech language lens of dyslexia, um, I was so intrigued and impressed with your um not only grasp of what you knew then, but also kind of your self-proclaimed, um, I think you say dorkiness to like really want to dive in deep and get more information. So we're going to talk about your book because your book is kind of the compilation of all of your dorkiness. You've, you've done all the research. Mm -hmm. Why not put it out there for people, right? Yeah. So what I found was happening is parents would call me and although each family's struggle is is different and their journey is different they have the same the same thread of problems and concerns kept coming and it sounded a lot like my child is having trouble reading um i can't 
get the school to help. The school says they can't help with dyslexia and I, we can't get an IEP. I don't know what to do to help my child. And they were looking for, a lot of them thought if they, you know, got a private assessment and brought the information to the school, the school would have to listen, but you and I know that that's not how it works either. Um, and so I found myself giving out the same information over and over. And finally I was like, I'm gonna put this in a short 15 page workbook for families. And it ended up turning into this ebook that it is today. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha, 15 <Yeah>. pages. <laughs> As she turns, you know, in, in parentheses, like the playwright would say, turns to page 79. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But it's but phenomenal. It, and that, and you. that's really what we're here to talk about today. But I think a great place to start is, wait a minute, she just said she's a speech language pathologist and she is um, evaluating and counseling people and then advocating for people that have dyslexia. So if people are unfamiliar with that connection between language and dyslexia, can you, in just kind of a brief summary, explain to people why that is very intuitive? Okay. So what most people don't realize is that dyslexia is a language-based disorder and it impairs the language system that helps children process sounds in our language. And reading is all about processing sounds, whether we're eye reading or whether we're hearing sounds, our brain has to process those sounds to be able to read the words that are on the page. And so if kids are having trouble isolating sounds, blending sounds, um, pulling sounds apart in words, they are going to struggle to read. And that's the, the a primary area of deficit usually in kids with dyslexia. And most people don't know that. There's, there's some myths out there that reading is all a visual skill and it, that's not true. It is a language-based skill. And so, and dyslexia is a language-based disorder. Yeah, so, you know, we think about just going to speech for speech, for articulation, but yes. there's a language component to speech, there's a feeding component mm -hmm. to speech, there's many different components to what SLPs do, um, and I think it is so intuitive that um, you and, and, and other people in your field have thought, oh, here's a connection where I can help people. Mm -hmm. um, but you know what I always tell families when, you know, we're kind of looking at dyslexia in, in a younger child is, okay, think about your child playing with language. If you're reading a Dr. Seuss book, do they make that natural rhyme or are they able to understand a pun? Um, you know, are they playing with language? And if they aren't playing with language, then we might be in um, deficit land. <laughs> we might be someplace where we're, where we're thinking that, you know, our phonological processing and other language-based skills are um, are impaired, right? Right, because sometimes I'll talk to parents and they've got a child who is very early in their school-age career, like kindergarten, and they'll say, oh, I'm worried they might have dyslexia. They're reversing letters. Well, letter reversal is seen in people with dyslexia, but it's not even a diagnostic indicator. And so when they're that young, especially, that's what I say, I'm like, you need to look at, can they rhyme words? Can they identify rhymes? Can they create rhymes? 
and you're exactly right in describing this playing with language because they're manipulating and playing with those sounds and it comes very naturally to kids that do not have that impaired sound system but when that sound system is impaired like when kids with dyslexia it becomes very difficult for them to do Yes, yes, that's, that is, see, you just said it more technically, I just said play <laughs> language, but yes, exactly. So let's talk about your, in, in the book, um, you yes. pretty much start off with, well, you start off with a beautiful letter to parents, and I want to kind of come back at the end of this episode and talk about advice that you have for parents, um, but you really kind of start off by talking about the roadmap to appropriate services. Um, mm -hmm. And that's what we talk about here in, at Ashley Barlow Company so often is, how do we get services? How do we advocate for our child to get the services that they need and that they deserve in order to help them make meaningful progress? And so um, whether we're talking about within special education or elsewhere, how do we identify dyslexia and then say, here's how um, we can help? Because identifying is great, but then what do we do about it is also great. So what is that roadmap and what's it look like? Well, when, it, when you notice that your child is, or when any child is having trouble with something, we have to collect that data that shows that they're struggling. And- um, You're already is, speaking my language, Michelle. You're already <laughs> speaking my language. And you know whether that's things that you're you know, doing at home with your child, or you have a parent-teacher conference and the parent and the teacher is saying, well, they're struggling a little bit to pull to sound out words. Um, those are that is data that you can start collecting to show where your child is struggling in school, different than the same age peers. When there is enough data present to show that your child needs help above and beyond what other kids in the classroom need, that's when you can start talking about a referral meeting. Now, along the way in that data collection, there's some things that the school can do, um, like RTI, and you'll hear sometimes your child is put in tier two and tier three, and it gets really technical what all those things are, but that RTI phase is all part of the data collection. The referral meeting is when the parents and the school get together to decide, does this child need an evaluation for special education services? Is there an adverse effect on education where we need to give them more support than what they're getting in the classroom? And that's where they make the plan to evaluate. And Once that, that friend is the key to eligibility is it has to have the adverse impact, A, disability, mm -hmm. and B, adverse education, adverse impact. Um, on yes. the educational or functional performance. So carry on. We're going to dive deeper into each of these steps, but we're on the road. Yes. I just, yes. I have to talk. And so once you've made the plan, then you, then the parent is just kind of waiting for the school to do the evaluation, what everyone agreed upon needed done. Then when they, then everybody comes back to the table and that's called the eligibility meeting. And this is where you talk about all of the data whether that's school collected data, data that you've collected at home or from outside sources, all of that has to be considered in the eligibility meeting to decide if there is adverse effect to get the child services. Once eligibility is determined, then you can develop an IEP to determine goals and what you're gonna work on. And then you have a step five, and I love yes. that you approach this <laughs> from 
a step five perspective. So just to go through the steps again, step one, data collection. Holy cow, mm -hmm. everybody, listen, we're starting with objectivity. If you've been around here long enough, you know we like objectivity. <laughs> so we collect data, then we ask for the referral. We say, can we please evaluate my child for special education services? So step two, referral meeting. Step three, eligibility meeting, where we look at everything that school has collected and that we have collected and that outside professionals have collected. And we talk about eligibility. We talk about that adverse impact. And then step four, we develop the IEP if we are found to be eligible. And then step five, Michelle, you take it a step further. And I think this is so great. I love this so much because Step five is super important and it doesn't stop at the IEP. What's step five? Monitoring their progress. You have to make sure your child continues to make that meaningful progress once the IEP is in place so that they can meet their goals. And if you go all the way through this process and you stop paying attention once the IEP is in place, your child might not get the most benefit because your parents need to know that you're involved and you wanna help with carryover. And so you need to know what they're working on in school and how they're progressing towards those goals more than the four times a year when they're sending those progress monitorings home with report cards. Amen, amen. And I love, I mean, I feel so strongly about progress monitoring and that data drives the instruction that I, when I, Got, I mean, this is only page 10 of your 79 page book. I was like, <laughs> amen, Michelle Morgan, you put progress monitoring in the roadmap to services. So let's talk about step one a little bit more. Okay. Um, let's talk about that data collection. So last night I'm scrolling through Facebook, thinking about Michelle Morgan and, <laughs> and interviewing you today. And one of my high school classmates um, says, help, my child is having struggles in school and I was, I had an evaluation set up and now things are falling between the cracks. I need an evaluator quickly. And so of course I go into DMs like I can help you. Um, but she said her first question to me in my, I can help you thing is what do I need? Where do I go and what do I need? And the thing that I like to impress on people is, as is the case with anything else, you have to have a foundation of knowledge before you go to a professional. You have to know the right questions to ask. You have to know the right things to tell them so that you get a good, a good evaluation, so that you get good data, you get good objective and subjective information about the child. So. Where do parents start and what are we looking for? Um, I think a good place to start is watching how your child learns at home because you spend a lot more time one-on-one -on -one with your child than the teacher does. The teacher sees how they function in a group setting, um, but they don't get a lot of opportunity to work one-on-one. -on -one. So if your child is you know, spending hours longer on homework than maybe peers are when you talk to other parents, it's important to know that they're spending that much more time to do the same amount of work. If your child is coming home with an assignment and they can only complete the assignment if you read them the directions, you need to document that because you're essentially providing an accommodation that they need to be successful. If you have a conversation 
with a teacher and maybe in passing the teacher says, oh, they're really struggling to do this, this, and this in reading, but they're doing really well in math. Well, you need to document that conversation. And so one thing that I tell parents is whenever you have those verbal conversations, it's good to follow it up with an email. Thank you so much for taking the time to tell me how my child is doing. I heard you say that here she's doing really well in math, but she's struggling in reading for these reasons. Because let's face it, teachers are busy. They have a lot of students. And that's an important conversation, but they might not necessarily remember it six months down the road when you get to the eligibility meeting. So this yeah. is just a way of documenting verbal conversations that happened that are going to help your child get the appropriate services later. And then I'm going to put on my advocacy hat and tell you something that, um, it, and, and add something onto that. And that is then before that meeting, you take all of your like notes that were just for you and the emails that you wrote to other people, you, you take all of that record keeping and you put it into something that is bullet pointed and easy for you to articulate. Because if you get into a meeting and you're like, oh, I don't know, they just read funny. I mean, I read this book a while ago and in the book it said blah, blah, blah. And, but you can't go one, two, three, four, five with bullet points. Nobody's going to listen to you. So part of the advocacy then is how you assimilate that in preparing for the meeting. It's a totally different podcast episode. Yes. But I never go into a meeting without an outline because I, I otherwise I'm going to start talking about the summer of 1985 or something, you know, I'm, I'm going to get off track. So I'm sure it was a great summer. Um, <laughs> so take, then you take all that information and you assimilate it into something that's meaningful for a meeting or for correspondence or whatever. Right, Michelle? Yes. Sounds okay. great. I love it. So part of that record keeping is this elusive, weird acronym um, system program thing called RTI. What the heck is RTI? Response to intervention. What's RTI. That mean? So that means that the school and different schools do it differently because the district can put into place different systems of support. Um, and so they have determined um, who is going to get more help in the classroom. So there are three tiers. Tier one is what the entire classroom gets, right? That's what every child is getting. Um, kids that need a little bit more help might be put into tier two, which is like small group instruction, right? Instead of it being 30 kids, maybe it's five or six kids. Um, kids who need more support than just tier two then get tier three. And that looks different in every district. Um, it's, you, you, parents are usually notified when their kids are put into different tiers, but not necessarily when they come out of different tiers. So that's one place we're being aware and on top of the data and, progr and progress in the school is going to be helpful. Um, and Michelle, okay, so RTI is a path to eligibility. So in yes. the dyslexia community, we're always looking at eligibility, you know, and I'm in the Down syndrome community personally and in Down syndrome, like our, our, in our community, the big thing is in, in inclusion. And one of the big things in autism communities is alternate placement, can't meet my needs. And so I need to go to a specialized school and the school has to pay for it. 
in the dyslexia community, the stereotypical big hurdle is eligibility. I want the IEP, I want specially designed instruction mm -hmm. that is um, uniquely tailored to my child's needs and intended to help my child make meaningful progress. I want the IEP and I want it now and the school saying no. So RTI is a path to eligibility in theory. Yes. It doesn't work yes. that way very often. But if you're getting these structured interventions and we are assessing, it's called response to intervention. So we are looking at how the child responds to the intervention. Mm -hmm. Everybody says, am I supposed to respond to the intervention and get the IEP? Or am I supposed to not respond to the intervention to prove I need the IEP? Explain that to people. Like, how do we get the coveted IEP as a result of this RTI process? So it's interesting because I will, I have heard different professionals say, you know, I think that my child needs an IEP, but I don't want to give them extra cert. I don't want to give them extra help so that we can qualify. But to me, I want to do what's best for my child. So I want to give them all the support that I can. Because the reality is, if they were so, if they are so impaired that they need an IEP, that short term of intervention is not going to make them not eligible. Um, so I think that RTI is a good thing. I think what's problematic in the dyslexia world is that oftentimes what they're focusing on. Um, is not what the child needs. And that that is the one problematic part is there's no, as a parent, there's no legal standing if they're not doing what's most appropriate for a child during RTI. Yes. That comes point. in during the IEP. So, and this is a whole nother rabbit hole, but if you are in the dyslexia community and you know your child is gonna benefit from structured literacy, but that is not what they're using during the RTI process, there is that possibility that RTI is going to not only not help, but hinder their reading skills if they're not using the correct intervention. And you as a parent really can't do anything except send lots and lots of emails, which is what I did to make sure that the school knows that you're informed and you're aware of what's going on so that when you get to that IEP, they know you're, what you're looking for. They've had time to sort of digest the information that you're giving them so that you have a better chance of getting what's appropriate on the IEP. Well, I have an idea what you could do. What's that? If that happens, which it does often, go ahead and yes. try to bypass RTI and ask for an evaluation. My child is struggling in this yes. way. I would like for my child to be evaluated for a specific learning disability because I'm noticing these deficits. Thank you very much. And then... The school's evaluation might be insufficient because they might not, like if, if the RTI is insufficient, they just aren't getting it. So then in all likelihood, they're gonna do a, a cognitive test, they're gonna do an academic test and they're gonna say, okay, it's not dyslexia. So then you can say, well, I disagree because, and, and you're going to have something. You're gonna have a summer camp where your child made progress or speech therapist that says, these are the issues. You're going to have something else from the outside that says, oh yeah, you need more interventions. So then you say, we disagree because my child did well with blah, blah, blah. 
-hmm. And therefore, it is within our parent rights to ask for an independent educational evaluation, an IEE. The district has to pay for that. And you say to the district, we think your, your evaluation was insufficient because it lacked effective RTI teaching strategies. It, it lacked the effective curriculum. And so we request that the IEE, the evaluation, include this effective strategy, and then they have to pay for that. They do. That, and I will tell you, the differences in school-based evals for kids with dyslexia that I have seen is huge. I have seen some really good, really comprehensive ones. Um, In fact, the school psychologist for my daughter presented her findings via PowerPoint for me. (laughs) Yes. She did a really good job, but I had done a job, my job as a parent to make sure, and I get into this in the book, I asked for very, very specific skill sets to be assessed to make sure that their evaluation was comprehensive. And so that's one thing I get into in the book is how to ask for skills to be assessed to make sure that you get a comprehensive eval. Then if they don't assess those very specific skill areas, then again, I talk about you have a right to an IEE. Right. And Michelle, I want to give a little analogy um, that you've probably heard me give, but like today in my life, my roof just basically fell off of my house. Like the fascia board on a gutter fell off and my roof started sliding off of my house, which is never good. Never good. Never good. So the fascia board started to fall off about six months ago. It's just rotten. It's just wood. It was rotten. And my husband looked up at it and said, we need to do that. But it is super duper high, extension ladder high. And so we like looked at it and thought, no, we can't do that. We need a professional. So we had a professional come over and look at it. Professional put a Band-Aid on it. Band-Aid didn't work. And now the problem happened. But what we should have done is we should have thought rotten fascia board. I don't know enough about that because I'm not a roofer. Hey, Google, will this Band-Aid work? Because I paid for the Band-Aid and then the Band-Aid ended up pulling my roof off. Yeah. I, if in very few circumstances, do you encounter something in your life, a home repair, a medical thing, a, a professional thing, where you're out of your comfort zone and you don't do more research, right? Like I should have looked to see what the detriments to this Band-Aid fix would do. And so, so many parents say to me, well, how was I supposed to know? Well, I mean, here's your pep talk parents. The more you do know, the more actively involved you are the better the results are. Michelle just told you she knew enough and Michelle has a very good skill set. But if you know enough to ask mm-hmm. just a couple more questions, just to up the ante a little bit in that team meeting, your IEP mm-hmm. team meeting, you're part of the team, then you can get better services. So Michelle, you've got lots of resources. Why don't you give us kind of like a, a quick rundown of just give us like two or three books or podcasts or whatever that you like to help parents kind of get like a little basic amount of information. Um, 
Oh, are we talking about just dyslexia in general? Or are we talking about? Well, I definitely. I definitely think dyslexia in general, but you can go ahead and do some special ed advocacy stuff too. <laughs> um, I think that a really good starting place for parents for dyslexia is the um, Sally Shaywood's book, Overcoming Dyslexia. There's a second edition out that's got lots of updated information in it. It's written, it's a very easy read. Um, so it, you know, parents can easily digest the information and then it's information that is applicable to your situation because you're probably going to read it and go yep that's me yep that's my kid um and so that's a really good starting place can I ask you like if you think your child might have dyslexia I don't think that's a great place to go because it's 500 pages long and it's scientific kind of feeling right is there like a like a hundred page book on kind of this is dyslexia that you like? I, and I'm totally pushing you on this. Yeah, no, it's a good question. If, okay, well, I think that maybe in that case, there's lots of resources on the International Dyslexia Association's website. Yes. Um, the Reading League is a wonderful website. Um, they have lots of really good information. And I believe they have free resources for parents often. Um, there are decoding dyslexia groups for most states. Um, And then most states have an offshoot of the International Dyslexia Association um, state that you can be active in. And I know here, you know, in my state of Kentucky, there are lots of times parents go on there like, I I don't know where to start. And people are very willing to step in and say, this is how you can get help. This is who you can reach out to. So, that kind of quick information. Let me just look at some early signs and symptoms. I would start there. Yes. And then if you are fairly certain that it's dyslexia or an SLD, then Sally Shaywitz's book is your Bible. Yes. Yeah. It's got it is incredible. Information. I mean, yes, yes, it is incredible. And I know that you wanted to say rights law. <laughs> as well so go ahead oh yes it. yeah so rights law I thought I was I had it in my head and then I got sidetracked yeah I, I know <laughs> I think they have a wonderful advocacy book and in fact um it's basically the IDA law IDEA law printed out it is it and so what I did in my book because it's there's a lot in there is I spent a lot of time finding the information that was relevant to dyslexia so one of the things that I did in my book is I said okay here's where you are in the process if you want to read where it is in the law this is where the page that it is in Wright's book go to this page and here is this information um and I still use that when I go to advocacy meetings I will have my you know my book and I'm like okay what page was that on it's right here page 244 and then I can pull it up because that's so powerful in a meeting when you can open it and say well this is what I'm reading in the law but you're telling me something different here it is in the law right here um and that that's really powerful in a meeting Michelle you just said you have it with you at all times. So I looked over my left shoulder where it usually is, and I am cracking up because my computer is propped up on it. I'm an attorney. That's how often (laughs) I look at it. And 
my computer is then on a binder and the binder houses the Kentucky regulations mm -hmm. and the Kentucky regulations in my office have one post-it note and it is to show me where RTI is. That's how often you're looking at RTI. So I can't stress that more myself. Okay, so let's spend some time talking about the referral meeting because eligibility okay. is such a big deal for um, families that have kids with um, SLDs, including, and, and most importantly today, dyslexia. So we're in the referral meeting, we've had the child evaluated, and we're talking now about eligibility. What kind of stuff are we looking at? In the book, you kind of start off by talking about the kinds of test results that we're getting in that evaluation report. So what are we looking at and what are we looking for? Um, well, so the referral meeting is where we're making the plan for what needs evaluated. Oh, right? sorry. I know, that's okay. And so a I lot of- you're talking about the testing. Hello. <laughs> but a lot of times parents do come to a referral meeting with outside assessment, right? That's that is what I did too. I thought if I went to an outside person and I paid lots of money for this big in-depth eval and I took it to the school, then they would have to listen to me, right? Because all this information, but they don't have to accept that data in lieu of doing their own testing. They have a right to do their own testing. Um, and even though I had all this data, I still heard things like, oh, we think it's attention. Oh, we think it's vocabulary. And they wanted to do their own testing. I don't know. It was, that's one of the frustrating parts about this is it was like they didn't believe where she was struggling until they did it themselves. Right. Um, so right. The agree, agree entirely. But don't forget the word parent is in the federal law over 400 yeah. times. They, they must care what we have to say. So that referral yes. meeting, you might call it an evaluation planning meeting. In Ohio, they call it an ETR plan. So what we're talking about is planning the planning evaluation. What, what areas they are going to look at in the evaluation. Michelle, and, one of the things, one of the things when we were in, when you talk about the referral meeting, and just for your reference, I'm on page 21 of your book. Okay. Um, with you. I loved what you, because, okay, so Evaluation plans always have a behavioral observation in them. And yeah. we get the behavioral observation and, you know, a good one, like there's good practice. So it'll say like what um, your child is doing vis-a-vis -vis, like what another child is doing. So mm -hmm. Sally was looking at the board for 22 minutes, whereas Johnny, my random Joe Schmo I picked out of the room that I don't think has, a dysle has dyslexia, looked at the board for 59 minutes or something like that. But you have some really good behavioral stuff in here. Um, and it's and it's, I think, very, very helpful. So can you kind of tell us? Yeah. Can you hit on that? Sure. Well, I think it, it's about 60% is what the research will say of kids with dyslexia also have ADHD, some inattentiveness, some difficulty paying attention. And so Unfortunately, I think what happens a lot of times in the school is that their reading difficulty are blamed on attention as the primary problem. And the fact that they're having trouble decoding the words is almost skipped over sometimes. And so you have to pay very close attention. So I've got the chart in the book that you're talking about, and it describes things you'll hear 
when a child is exhibiting um, inattentiveness from ADD or ADHD um, versus avoidance behaviors because they're struggling to read. Um, so things like if every time the teacher starts popcorn reading around the room, a child who has trouble reading might become very anxious and they might be having to ask, I need to go to the bathroom every time that happens. They're avoiding the situation. Um, or, you know, they weren't paying attention to the screen. They were just clicking buttons. That was one thing, you know, that they said to me when my daughter's map scores dropped from like the 70th percentile to the fourth because it was no longer being read to her. We don't think that's accurate because she was just clicking buttons on because she couldn't read it. She hey. couldn't read what was on the screen. That wasn't an inattention issue. It was an inability to read anything on the screen. And so you have to pay attention to those things. I think another example I have in there is the school said, um, this isn't my daughter, but another student, she waits patiently for the teacher to come around the room and read the next question, but she won't do it herself. She can't do it herself. She's waiting for you to come around and give her that accommodation that she needs to be successful, to read her the question. And so paying a close attention to those statements that teachers make and then asking probing questions, you know, well, why do you think she's waiting? Can she not read what's on there? You know, we don't have trouble getting her to do anything else or follow directions in any other area of school. So let's talk about, is she avoiding reading and writing tasks or is it truly an inattention or behavior issue? Right. And that can be so, so, so powerful. So I love that you include that in there. Um, okay. So then we get to eligibility, right? And when we're in eligibility, um, depending on what state you're in, there are really kind of three different ways to qualify as having a specific learning disability. So there can be the discrepancy model. We already mm -hmm. talked about RTI or there can be a patterns and strengths and weaknesses model. So can you kind of talk to us about discrepancy and then that patterns and strengths and weaknesses and, and what those kind of paths to eligibility look like? Um, sure, so, and I don't know if it's the same in every state, but I know in our state, when they use the discrepancy model, what they do is they have tables that are publicly accessible on the internet where they wanna look at just a few score results and you will look at the subtests given and the score obtained and it the tables will say you know if they are um, at or above this number they don't qualify um, and that's what they want my problem with the discrepancy model is that for many kids with dyslexia, those few subtests that, that th those tables reference do not capture their deficit areas. So you can have a child that shows huge score discrepancies in lots and lots and lots of tests. And you will hear from the school, well, the table says that they do not have a discrepancy, so they do not qualify. Right. <laughs> and they're humans. So you might be within one point on all seven criteria that are supposed to be evaluated, but 
that doesn't matter because it's just math. And so to me, it's like also the math, <laughs> the statistical stuff does not account for the humanness of the subject. So yeah, and yes. all of all of those tests that they give, you know, they give a range of score confidence intervals that are right. completely ignored um, by those tables. And so that's why the patterns and strengths and weaknesses is sometimes a better way to look at eligibility. So we know that there are strengths and weaknesses of the dyslexic person. And so when we look at strengths and weaknesses, we're looking for stereotypical strengths and weaknesses um, in the academic and cognitive testing, right? Yeah. And this, so this is one reason why getting a good assessment is important. So one of the things that should be looked at in every child where parents are concerned about dyslexia is the difference between reading and listening comprehension. Because that is so important for goal setting is to know, are they struggling because they cannot phonetically decode the word or are they struggling because they don't have the ability to comprehend the linguistic information that they're processing? And so if a child scores really high on listening comprehension, but really, really low on reading comprehension, well, then you have to say, oh, well, they pro it's not, probably not because they can't understand the linguistic information being presented, it's because they can't phonetically decode the word. Well, that's a very different approach to intervention. So there are so many kids with dyslexia that end up with these reading comprehension goals that it's wasting their precious, precious IEP minutes because they don't have trouble comprehending what they are able to read. It's Amen. just that they aren't able to read the information. They need instruction on how to decode it. Amen. And they end up with reading comprehension goals that are actually listening comprehension as a result of that, which does nothing. Yeah. Okay. And, and so, and what, what parents, what you might hear in a meeting, parents hear in a meeting is, but they scored low in that area. So we need a goal. No, you have to figure out why they are low in that area. And if they don't need a reading comprehension goal, you just justify that in the conference summary. Yes. Yes, it's yes, yes. I like that, Michelle. So the thing, I love the technicality of this book. I love the practicality of the book. I told you, I just think it's beautiful. Um, and I will reiterate your favorite part because I share, and this um, is a favorite, <laughs> those hot links because it's an ebook. Yeah. So you can just click right over and see the source from the mm -hmm. horse's mouth. If you're talking about the law, you've got a hot link where you can go over and you can see it from the horse's mouth. Yeah, um, so when parents are told, we can't write dyslexia in the IEP, you can say, oh, wait a minute. I can, let me bring up the link. Just click that on there and it'll bring you to the Dear Collie letter that says, yes, you, there is no reason you can, should not use that word when it's appropriate in any IEP related documents. Just love it. I do love that. Um, but what I love also, Michelle, because I also help families day in and day out is the tone. I love that you, you know, there's a couple of comma mamas, <laughs> you yeah. know, hey mama, you got this. And I just love that tone. 
So what kind of general advice can you give my listeners that are struggling with eligibility, struggling with getting the right programming? The data is not driving the instruction. The data is not going in a good um, trend line direction. What, what kind of advice can you give to them? Um, oh gosh, that it's, I know it's an overwhelming process. I know because I was there and I know there's probably been lots of tears involved. Um, but I, I think one thing that will help is to know that most teachers are wonderful people and they want to help your child. Sometimes they just have bad information. And so you have to become educated in the area that your child is struggling with by using the resources and feeling confident in your advocacy skills and using resources is gonna not only help your child, but other kids along the way. And it is a difficult process, but it is so worth it to get to develop a strategy to get a good IEP so that your child can be successful. And even if you are, have already gone through the initial um, eligibility, you can, you can request a meeting at any time, you know, and, and start this process from where you are now. Just because you didn't start it from the beginning doesn't mean you missed the boat. Yes. Yes, Michelle, you are helping not only your own child, but you are truly helping so many other people. I'm grateful for this ebook as a resource. I'm grateful for the great work that you're doing here in Kentucky. Tell my audience where they can find the book and how they can find you. Um, well, I have a website. It's called uh, Days with Dyslexia, www.dayswithdyslexia.com. And if you go to dayswithdyslexia.com slash ebook, um, and then you'll just scroll down just a smidgen, but you'll see a link with a picture of the book and it'll say learn more. And if you click there, you can get a lot more information on it and how to, how to purchase it. So I, I really did put my heart, you know, into developing this because it's, it's the information that I needed when I worked with my daughter's school, um, Go check it out now. It is amazing. <laughs> Thank you okay. so much. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us, Michelle. All right. I appreciate you having me.